Well, good morning again and welcome to Livingstone Calvary Chapel. Glad that you're here with us again. Um, if you're new or visiting, um, um, welcome. Um, we're going to be studying through the Gospel of Luke uh, again today. We've been in the Gospel of Luke for a few weeks now, uh, studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're continuing on with that. And we're going to be picking back up in Luke chapter 4. Um, before we begin, though, we get a really awesome opportunity to do another baby dedication, back-to-back baby dedications. Yeah. So, I kind of like that. All right, a um, couple of things before we get started. I want to do, there's really no announcements. I want to bring a couple of things to your attention. Um, just to keep you updated, the, the U-Turn for Christ uh, ministry has, um, as I've told you, they've purchased a um, piece of property in Florence. It's about seven miles outside of Florence, past the prisons. 38-acre piece of property is being turned into the new location for the U-Turn for Christ ministry. Um, and the construction of the bunkhouse there on the property has um, begun, and um, now they're putting up walls. So we're, we're, we're moving quite along. And I told you that um, uh, Pastor Jeff took a step of faith, and uh, being on the board with him, uh, we all took a step of faith to go ahead and, and move forward in the building project, even though we hadn't closed on the property. We got news this week that the appraisal um, came through. That was the last thing we're waiting for, so praise God. Um, and uh, we've got permission to move on to the property, and we hope to close in, in 10 to 14 days. So praise God. Um, and, and it looks like the, the bunkhouse building project part of it's on schedule, and so when our lease is up on the property in um, the end of February, right, Jeff? Yeah, end of February in Colorado Springs, we'll be able to transition from, from a lease payment right into our very own mortgage payment. So praise God for that. Keep the U-Turn for Christ ministry in prayer and the men there and the work that's being done out there. Also, guys, we have 140 kids and youth leaders from Canyon City with four churches, including our own, who have been up at uh, Westcliff, in Westcliff at this uh, Horn Creek uh, ranch, uh, uh, having a youth retreat um, this weekend. Uh, they, they have one session that will, I think it starts at like 1230, and then the last session they'll have, and then they're going to be traveling back down. So I'd like to take time as we pray and get started um, to study God's Word. I'd like for us to, excuse me, I'd like for us to also pray for our youth and our youth leaders who are all there, those from our church and the others in the community. And also this week as we take time to pray for the churches in our community, I want to pray for um, the, the, the brothers and sisters we have at the Methodist Church, First United Methodists. And we prayed for them before, we kind of going around through a, a, a circular prayer of all the, the churches and the pastoral staff and the congregation. Um, and, but the pastor there at the First United Methodist Church is Pastor Eric. And I know that the Methodist Church overall... Uh, corporately has had some issues and, um, and has turned away from God's word in, in a lot of ways, but not this church here, not, not pastor, under Pastor Eric's um, uh, leadership. So I give thanks for him that he's unwilling to compromise the truths found in God's word, and uh, he's a true believer and brother in the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for those at the First United Methodist Church who call themselves Christian. 
who are our, our brothers and sisters. And we pray, God, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them. And Lord, that under um, Pastor Eric's leadership, as he submits to you, God, that you would bless that fellowship, that your word would come forth in truth this morning as he teaches his congregation, your congregation, your people, Lord, about your great love for them. We thank you for them, Lord, that, that we're not alone in this community, that there are many other believers and many other uh, churchgoers and, and, and those who um, uh, call themselves by your name, who, who, who we can uh, uh, partner with, have fellowship with. And Lord, we're grateful for the partnership and the fellowship that we have with the other churches, God, that are up now in Westcliff, Colorado, with the youth of this community, serving them and, and inviting them and leading them into your presence. And and so we pray, God, that you would bless the leaders. We pray, God, that you would protect everyone on the way back home. And we pray, God, for our youth, those that are there from our church congregation, those that are there from the bridge and from the other churches. We pray, God, that they would have um, encounters with you, that they would receive words from you, that would be encouraged as they come back to this town and go back into their classrooms and into their schools after this winter break and after this youth retreat, that they would be encouraged, Lord, to be uh, shine brightly for you. God, we love you and we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Uh, Luke chapter four. We're going to pick back up in uh, verse thirty-one. Last week we made it through verse thirty of chapter four, which counts the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee where specifically Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth and where he was invited to teach in the local synagogue there. And in doing so, Jesus read from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and then we're told that when he was done, he sat down to teach the people and explain how the prophecy he had read, he said, was being fulfilled through him. He, he, he said this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And even though the people marveled. It says that the gracious words that Jesus spoke, we saw ultimately that they rejected him and the claims that he was making. In fact, they were offended. It says we, we, we see their response. They were offended by the words. Literally, they were offended because of the conviction that Jesus spoke, the words of conviction that Jesus went on to speak as they, as a result, according to verse 29, were filled with wrath and tried to kill Jesus by throwing him off a cliff. Yet, Jesus miraculously escaped by passing right through the midst of them, and he went on his way. And it, it seems almost, to me, anticlimactic, um, somewhat subtly. I mean, it's like, here I am, now I'm not kind of a thing, as I kind of picture it in my mind. And I, I, I kind of wish, this is just how I think, forgive me, but I kind of wish that Jesus would have let them kind of toss him off the cliff, and he'd have just been standing there in midair, you know? <laughs> How do you like me now? <laughs> but um, for, for your sake, I'm not Jesus. And, <laughs> and, and, and he, but it was still miraculously, he escaped. He passed right through them, and he went on his way. And so we pick back up the story in chapter 4, verse 31. And it says, then he, verse Jesus, uh, verse 31, then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching on the Sabbath, and they were another response from the people. Remember, the first group marveled. This group, it says, they were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching, for his words was with authority. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have you to do? What have we to do with you? 
Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him, and it did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, With with a word, what a word this is, for with with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place and in the surrounding region. Now, Verse 38 continues on. It says that he arose from the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. Verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various distresses brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach, here it is, the reasons, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose, for this purpose, he says, I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. And Lord, we ask, I ask, I pray, God, that you would give me um, strength and power and insight through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that it would be you teaching us, me, together, Lord, the truths found in your word. God, that we would, as a result, not just be a hearer, but be a doer to the things that you call us to in light of God, the things that you've done for us. Lord, how you desire, Lord, to just meet us here, each one individually and personally this morning. And God, you can do this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in addition to the words of Jesus being gracious words, which caused people to marvel, which we read and studied about last week, we read here this week that the words that Jesus spoke were with also with authority, and they caused people to be astonished. And the authority that Jesus possesses was only evident, was not only evident in the way he taught, and as we read here, it's clear that it was also evident in the things that he did. And, it, and, and, and specifically, we see that it's demonstrated to us in this encounter with this demon-possessed man. Now, even though there are many things for us to look at in these verses, I want to point out that it's ironic that these demons whom Jesus cast out, it's ironic that they knew who he was, but those from his own city back in Nazareth were unwilling to acknowledge. They didn't appreciate Jesus, who he was, even though he had made it known to them in regards to coming to fulfill a prophetic a prophetic. Um, uh, 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 that his ministry was prophetic and he had come to fulfill prophecy. And even though Jesus had been rejected by those in Nazareth, we see, and he tells us here specifically, that he still had a mission, a mission to the rest of the nation of Israel. And, and um, the reception that Jesus received here in Capernaum was completely different than the, the reception in his own hometown of Nazareth. Considering here the people of Capernaum were told, according to verse 42, wanted Jesus to stay, right? And they even tried to keep him from leaving. 
I don't know what that looked like. Maybe they're hanging on to his ankles. Don't leave. But, but Jesus had to move on because he needed to preach, we're told, the good news of the kingdom of God to more people. In light of this, I need, I need for us to understand, we need to understand as we read this contextually, I need to understand that the main point of Jesus' ministry was on preaching. The main emphasis of Jesus' ministry was on preaching. And even though Jesus had compassion on the people, as demonstrated in these verses, by casting out the demons and healing them of their infirmities, like we read here and like we'll continue to read about in chapter 5, we should understand that all of these miraculous things that Luke is telling us about, that we're reading about, were done in order to authenticate Jesus' life. They were there to authenticate what he was saying and who he was claiming to be. And these words found here in verse 44 affirm this as we are told that Jesus kept on preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. And in doing so, we see that, that wherever Jesus went, as Jesus says here also in verse 43, that wherever he went, his focus was on teaching people that he was the Messiah, the one who was sent by God, who came, as we studied last week, who came to give back what sin had taken from them, what sin had taken from us. By preaching the good news of salvation, by grace and forgiveness that comes through faith, he says to the poor, by healing the brokenhearted, by setting the captive and the oppressed free, by giving sight to the blind and proclaiming, ultimately preaching, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, as we, as we look forward and we get ready to continue on into chapter 5, I want to point out that as, as believers in Jesus Christ, Please hear this. As believers in Jesus Christ, we often talk about a personal and individual relationship with Jesus that comes as a result of our faith in him, right? Personal relationship, an intimate relationship, an individual relationship with Jesus. However, if the truth is to be told, I think that there are times when our individual, individual relationship with Jesus is less than a personal one. And it's, and it's never because Jesus has, has, has backed away from us. It's always because we've backed away from him. And in those times, guys, we may still go to church and spend time with Jesus as a part of a group, but are we making ourselves individually available to him? In those times, I think we don't read or study our Bible, which helps us to grow and get to know Jesus more. We don't take the time to pray, to talk with Jesus, or to allow him to talk to us, listening. We don't set our thoughts upon him, upon Jesus, or, or we don't direct our affections towards him. And I make this, this point this morning in light of chapter 5, which we're about to read, because in this chapter, in chapter 5, what we see is we see that Luke... Luke gives us an account of four meetings that Jesus had with four individuals. A fisherman, a leper, a paralyzed man, and a tax collector. And, and, and telling us about these encounters that Jesus had with these individuals, he, he, we, we're told about, we read about the changes that each person experienced as, as a result of this encounter with Jesus, as a result of putting their trust and their faith in him. In light of this, we see that even though Jesus preached to large groups, because, man, at this point, the crowds were huge that were following after him. 
And, that, and even though Jesus preached to the large groups of people that gathered to him, we see through this chapter that he was ultimately concerned about the individual and that his message was always personal. In other words, Jesus always took the time to help people personally, to help them individually. And his purpose was in doing so was to transform them and then in order to, to be able to send them out with his message of forgiveness to others. And this morning, I want to encourage you with this fact. You see, even though we're here this morning as a group, as a congregation, as a body of believers, Jesus is concerned about each one of us individually as we're gathered together corporately. And he wants to meet with us personally, individually. He desires to talk with you this morning. He desires to transform you this morning. He desires to send you out to others to tell them about his grace and his forgiveness and about the personal and individual relationship that you have with him. And I want to remind us that Jesus values personal relationship with us. Jesus values personal relationship with us, with each one of us. So as we go from this place this morning, having spent time together with Jesus, let us seek to make our personal relationship with him more of a priority. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from there and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put it out a little from the land. And he sat down and talked to multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, he said, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed after him. I'm really excited about this chapter and reading about these encounters that Jesus had with these people. And of course, this first one, Simon, is also someone who we would later come to know as Peter. And when we look over to the Gospel of John, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 1, we understand that it had been about a year since Peter and Andrew who are mentioned here, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, been a year since they had first met Jesus. Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist. And when Jesus was revealed as the Messiah, there as John was baptizing him and saying, Behold the Lamb of God, Andrew, we're told, went to go get his brother Peter, and he took him to come and meet Jesus. And after meeting Peter, 
Jesus returned with Peter, we're told, and Andrew to Galilee. And more than likely, they were both with him at that wedding feast in Canaan where Jesus had turned the water into wine. Now, apparently from what we read here, it appears that after that moment, sometime after that, that Peter did not follow Jesus on to Jerusalem or go back to Judea with him where Jesus ministered for that first year before returning back to the region of Galilee. Instead, he remained, Peter, in Galilee, returned to his home in Capernaum, which we read here, where he had a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee with the sons of Zebedee, James and John. So when Jesus returned to Capernaum, he, he reconnects with Peter. That's what we see going on. And as we read last week in chapter 4, he stayed the night, um, or excuse me, as we just got done reading today, because of the second part of it, is that he stayed the house, stayed the night at Simon's house, Simon Peter's house, while he was there in Capernaum. And it was that next morning that Jesus set out to go to the other cities in Galilee in order to preach them about the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus reached the Sea of Galilee, he found Simon Peter, who had been up all night long fishing on the shore with his boat. He was washing his nets, and he had no fish, even though it says that he had toiled all night trying to catch them. This was his business. This was his livelihood. And this is when we see Jesus, according to verse 3, if you'll look there, he, he, he stops to teach here this group of people who had been following him. But because there were so many people, then Jesus got into Peter's boat, and he asked Peter to push him out a little bit um, from the shore, which would have made it better for Jesus to address the crowds of people who were all gathering next to him, that they could hear him. And this crest, it, it probably would not have been such a big deal, not only because Peter knew Jesus, they had this relationship, but, but Peter could still listen to Jesus teach while he was there on the shore, finishing cleaning and washing his nets. Now, we're not told, I wish we were, but we're not told what Jesus said when he, when he was teaching from Peter's boat. In any of the gospel accounts, not just here in Luke, but in any of the gospel accounts that recorded, don't tell us what Jesus said. Yet what we do know is that, is that while Jesus was teaching the crowds, okay, listen, that while Jesus was teaching the crowds, he was at the same time speaking individually to Peter and preparing his heart for what was to come next. And in verse 4, we see that Jesus, that when Jesus was done teaching, he spoke to Peter and he said, hey, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. To which Peter respectfully explained, calling Jesus master, it's important, and acknowledging him really at that point as a person of authority, right? He, 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 he respectfully initially explained that Jesus' request was probably not a very wise one since he had been up all night long fishing and had already caught nothing. Now, <clears throat> from Peter's point of view, Peter being a professional fisherman who had a partnership with other professional fishermen, there would have been many reasons from their point of view um, besides this explanation that he gained as, as for why it was not a good idea to go back out fishing at this point, such as the fact that they had already cleaned the nets, which was no easy task. If we didn't catch nothing, the nets are clean, right? That was one of the other possible reasons that he could have given. But also... 
there was the fact that on the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Gennesaret, same thing, that the fishing is done at night. And that's why they were out there at night. And that's because the fish in the Sea of Galilee, they come up from the deep into the shallows at night, and this is the best time and the best place to catch them. Yet by Jesus' request, or yet by his request, Jesus was asking Peter ultimately to trust him. That's what he was asking him. Trust me. By going back out in spite of all of these reasons for why it would not be a good idea and then to cast his clean nets back into the sea into a place that they, would have, that they would have not normally fished and to do it at a time when fish are not normally caught. So despite all of his logic, despite all of his training, and despite all of his years of experience, we see that Peter obeyed Jesus' request and he let down his nets. This was a step of faith. And this step of faith is what created the environment. This step of faith is what created the environment for God's miracle. And in verse 6, it tells us that when Peter had done what Jesus said, he caught so much fish that the nets began to break. In fact, he had to call for his partners, James and John, the son of Zebedee's, Zebedee, to come and help. And the amount of fish that was in one net was able to fill up both bolts so that they began to sink. And, and this was truly a miraculous thing. But this, this encounter that Peter, this is the focal point, the individual, because through this we see an encounter taking place. And this encounter that Peter was having with Jesus, which started with Jesus asking to, to teach from Peter's boat and led to Peter catching more fish than he had ever caught at one time, it really had nothing to do with fishing at all. It had nothing to do with fishing it had to do with Jesus coming to reveal himself to Peter and to call Peter into a personal relationship with him. And up until this point, Peter believed Jesus to be a master, a man with authority, but he did not know Jesus in a personal way. And he did not believe that Jesus was the Savior at this point, that he was the Lord, his Lord. Yet this is exactly what Jesus wanted for Peter. But it took Peter taking the step of faith to be called out in faith and to trust in Jesus in order for him to see Jesus for who he truly is. And it appears that at this, at this moment, that this moment for Peter came once the immediate excitement of catching all the fish and keeping their boats from sinking had passed. And according to verse 9, look. And according to verse 9, when Peter saw all the fish that he and those who were with him, they were astonished. Literally, that word means seized by the moment. Astonished. Kind of like, can't believe what just happened. Seized by the moment. And this is when Peter realized that Jesus is more than a master. And he fell down on his knees, at the knees before Jesus. And he said in verse 8, listen to his words. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And by this statement, we see that Peter was humbled. He thought he knew better. He thought he knew better than Jesus, but he was wrong. However, this humility went, guys, it went way beyond being wrong about fishing, for he had been wrong about Jesus. And when Jesus revealed himself to Peter, Peter saw himself in light of who Jesus is, the Lord. And this led Peter to confess his sinfulness. And the fact, listen, 
and, and the fact that he was unworthy to even be in Jesus' presence. Yet the awesome thing is, is that Jesus had not come to condemn Peter, did he? Peter knew, Jesus knew Peter's sinfulness. It wasn't news to Jesus. But Jesus had not come to condemn Peter. He had come to show Peter grace and to call him into this relationship with him, to come follow after him. And he promised to change him, and he promised to transform his life. No longer will you be a fisherman of fish, you'll be a fisher of men. And the thing about this is that verse 11 tells us that when Peter and his partners reached the shore, that they forsook all and followed Jesus. And in that moment, they made their relationship with Jesus the priority. Now in verse 12, we read on about another encounter that Jesus has. And Luke writes, and he says in verse 12, and it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And so the idea here is this is not in the beginning stages of it. This man has had leprosy for a long time, covered probably head from head to toe, suffering the awful effects of the disease. He says he saw Jesus and he fell on his face and he spoke to Jesus and implored him saying, Lord, listen, Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. You can make me clean. And then he, Jesus, put out his hand and he touched him, said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for the cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses had commanded. However, the report, the report went out around concerning him all the more and the great multitudes came to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now the thing that sets this man, this leper, apart from Peter for us this morning is not the fact that he had leprosy, it's the fact that he came to Jesus knowing that he was in need. Peter didn't realize that at first until he, he saw himself in light of Jesus, a sinful man that I am. And he realized he had, had this need, and he realized that Jesus was the one that could take care of this need. This man had no mis misunderstandings. He knew who he was. He knew he was in need. And the awful disease this man, this man had was causing him literally a slow and gruesome death that not only affected him physically with, the, with weeping sores and, and the potential loss of body parts, it also had a, a negative effect on every aspect of his life, this disease. According to the Jewish law, and because leprosy is, is a highly contagious thing, this man would not have been allowed to be around any other people. Lepers were cast out from the city, and from the, from the time that he contracted this disease, he would have been forced to live outside of the city as an outcast who had to go around yelling out, unclean, anytime someone else came near him. Yet, when this man broke the rules, because he broke the rules. Yet, when this man broke the rules that outlawed lepers from entering any area where uncontaminated people were in order to meet Jesus, Jesus did not condemn him, did he? 
Jesus did not condemn this man and command him to get away from him. On the contrary, Jesus permitted this man to come to him with his need. And then Jesus did the unthinkable thing. And in verse 13, it tells us that he reached out his hand. And he touched this man and immediately was made clean of his disease. He's healed. You know, by this, in light of this, I can't think of any better example to point out the fact that Jesus is willing. Do you hear the word? Willing. Jesus is willing for all people to come to him. For whosoever, for everyone to come to him, especially those who have been rejected by others. And the interesting thing about leprosy is that it provides for us a perfect picture of sin in so many ways. In that, like leprosy, which manifests itself on the surface um, of the skin, it truly is a problem. Leprosy is a problem that starts beneath the surface of the skin. It doesn't reveal itself until later on. It starts deeper, below the surface. And the same is true of sin, guys. In that, all sin is rooted, the Bible tells us, in the inner man. All sin is rooted inside of us. We're sinful by nature. In our hearts, which the Bible declares in Jeremiah chapter 17 to us, it says, the heart is deceitful and wicked and above all things, and only the Lord God can search out our heart and test our minds and see what's in them. Furthermore, leprosy is a disease that attacks the nervous system. And it causes a person in doing so to lose sensitivity, particularly in their appendages. And consequently, their fingers, their hands, their arms, their toes, their feet, and their noses, their legs, everything is, is vulnerable to injury as the disease progresses. To injury and ultimately infection, will, which will ultimately cause parts of their body to rot and fall off. And is not sin like this? Sin's like this. As it, according to Ephesians chapter 4, tells us that it numbs our mind. Sin, sin desensitizes. It numbs our minds and brings darkness into a person's understanding. And, and also, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says that, that sin sears a person's conscience, that, that ability that we've been given to distinguish between good and evil, and right and wrong. And the more we sin, the Bible says that it, it, that it sears a person's conscience. And, and literally what that does is it like if you were to touch something hot and, and you got a burn, then you would have a scar. You would have less sensitivity in that area that you got burned. And sin does that to our hearts, to our minds. It, it, it desensitizes, it makes us calloused, and it, gives us, it, it causes us to lose the ability to discern what is good and evil. And consequently, people who enter into sin, when we live a lifestyle of sin and we become desensitized to good and evil and right and wrong, when we then therefore give ourselves over more and more to the things that literally destroy us. It's like going back to the fire. I don't feel it anymore. Numb to it. And in light of this comparison, I want to point out that this man who was an outcast, this man who was slowly and surely dying because of this disease, he knew that he had to be changed. He knew it. He had, no, he had no misunderstandings about who he was and what he needed. He knew he needed to be changed. And when he humbly approached Jesus and, and, and came to him, uh, or excuse me, and when we humbly approach Jesus and when we come to him like this leper 
did so, and we asked to be made clean, we can rest assured that no matter how, guys, no matter how bad our sin problem is, Jesus will reach out his hand and he'll touch us. And he'll pour out grace and he'll pour out the power of God on our lives to heal us, to restore us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. They both tell us that Jesus, here's the key word again, Jesus is willing to save all who will come to him. I think that's important because sometimes we think we, Jesus can, but we think Jesus can, but will he? Jesus can, but will he? And this guy, this leper, he came to Jesus because he'd heard about all the things that he had done. He may even witness them from afar. He'd heard the tales that people were speaking about him. And he was like, are you willing? Not can you. He knew he could, but will you? And Jesus is willing to save, to heal, to forgive all who come to him. Furthermore, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, reason assures us, it assures us of the fact that Jesus is able to save, it says, to the uttermost. And I, I'm so grateful for that because for 21 years of my life, I lived apart from Jesus on my own, doing things my way, calloused and hardened to sin, blind, and walking in so much evil. The lifestyle of addiction took me to places I never wanted to go, places that I, that, that um, hopelessness, despair, where I truly believe there was no hope for me. And that's this place where this leper lived for so many years until, until Jesus. Until Jesus. And he's able to save to the uttermost, to the most darkest place, all who come to him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it declares that he can and he will do it, now saying, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Verse 17, we read on, it says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees, all these Pharisees, they're everywhere, Teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then, behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay down before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tilling or the tiling into their midst, into the midst before Jesus. And when he, it says, Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, I didn't have to speak them. When he perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or say to say to you, rise up and walk. And at this point, it's one of those things I'm like, yeah, Jesus, show them. And he does. 
He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise and take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately, verse 25, he rose up before them, took up what, had been, what he'd been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. May we see strange things today as God works in and through our lives. And from these, the, the, the parallel accounts that of, this, of this account here, the parallel uh, records in, in, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, we know that Jesus had returned back to Capernaum and was again at Peter's house when this event took place. In verse 15, it, it, it told us that after Jesus healed the leopard of the report that it had got out, the news had got out, and that the crowds who were following Jesus were greater than, than ever. More and more people, they come from all over to hear Jesus, to see Jesus. And when these four men decided they were going to bring this paralyzed man to see Jesus, we see that they were prevented. They were prevented from getting close because of the crowds. But I love this. It didn't stop them. They were determined. It did not stop them. And we don't know how far they came carrying this man on his bed, these friends of his. But according to verse 16, um, it says that even though they were prevented, they did not stop them, and they went on top of the house. They went on top of the house, made it over where Jesus was, and then they began to make a hole in the roof and lower their friend down to Jesus. Now, I'm sure that by this time, when those who were around him, uh, that they were wondering what was going on around Jesus as they were looking up and moving probably out of the way the debris that was also falling down inside the house. And maybe Peter was like, what are you doing? Tearing my house apart. And Peter was a pretty vocal guy, so imagine there was some words coming out of his mouth. Anyway, when we consider these friends... Um, of the paralyzed man, we see how they're a great example for us, I think. I think they're a great example for us because they're willing to persevere. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. We all have friends, family members, loved ones who need to get to Jesus still. And these guys, they could have turned around. They could have went back home. Like, oh, there's too many people. Maybe another time. Sorry, bud. Too bad. I know you need Jesus, but it's just too hard, too difficult, too many challenges. The crowd wouldn't let them through even, but they didn't give up. They looked for another way, any way, every way. And when there was no other way into the house, they made their own way. They made a way. Now, I suspect that they did this in spite of the like words of protest from their paralyzed friend. If I'd have been the one on the, on the bed, I, I would have been, don't pull me up on that roof. I'm paralyzed. You want to kill me too? And he probably didn't want to be lowered down through a hole in the roof. Everybody had been looking at him, right? But the bottom line is these men, because of their faith, because of their faith, their determination, their love for their friend, they did this. These guys are a good example for us because more often than not, guys, we too, do we not face adversaries and, and face adversary? 
our adversity in getting our people, our friends, our family to Jesus. Meaning there will be obstacles in our way, but we can't give up. We must be willing to do whatever it takes to bring these people before Jesus time and time again. And for these four guys, it's obvious, it's obvious they obviously loved their friend and their love for their friend and their faith, literally trust in Jesus is what made them and gave them this determination to not give up. So when Jesus saw this men, these men doing whatever it took to get their friend to him, Jesus, according to verse 20, recognized their faith and said to their paralyzed friend, be healed. No. He says something that totally blew everybody out of the water. Something completely unexpected. He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And this wasn't what people expected. Not the paralyzed man, not his friends, and not even the people in the crowd. But forgiveness, guys, forgiveness is the greatest gift Jesus had to offer. It is the, Jesus, the, the greatest gift that, that Jesus has to offer. And it's the greatest miracle that Jesus performs still today to forgive our sins. Because forgiveness meets the greatest need that every person has. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus could have just healed this man and not forgiven his sins. And he still would have been able to walk. But when he died, he would have spent, the Bible tells us very clearly, eternity in hell without forgiveness of sin. That would have been much worse than not being able to walk. But as a result of Jesus declaring this man's sins to be forgiven, Jesus, who was also pointing the people to the fact that he was more than just a man who could heal. Jesus was revealing who he is, God in the flesh. He was boldly declaring it. And the religious leaders who were in the crowd, these Pharisees, they knew it. And this is why they asked in verse 21, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Which simply means, why is this man, why are you, why are you claiming the attributes of God? for yourself. And they were right in asking this question because their understanding that God, only God, has the power to forgive our sins is correct. And the Bible teaches us that when we sin, it ultimately, yeah, we sin against one another, but first and foremost, it's an offense against God. And this is because it's God's standard that we violate. It's God's law that we break when we sin. And since God is the lawgiver, when we break his laws, it's first and foremost a sin against God, and therefore God alone has the right to forgive or not. You know, King David, he acknowledges this in the Psalms. And in Psalm 51, verses 3 through 4, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you... And you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, look here. We're going to wrap this up. In verse 22, it tells us that Jesus was able to perceive these religious leaders' thoughts over these claims that he was making. And so Jesus challenged them to make a decision in light of what they knew to be true. Either he, Jesus, was God in the flesh or he was a liar, right? Which is easier for me to say that I forgive this man's sins, that God forgives this man's sins, or to, to rise and walk. And Jesus, and Jesus, so Jesus said, why do you reason these things in your heart about me? And if Jesus would have given these guys a chance to answer, what, what, to answer him, they would have asked the same question I think that any one of us would have asked in light of this situation and, and said, so, okay, if you're the son of God in the flesh with the power to forgive sins, then 
I don't know, prove it. Right? But Jesus did not wait on them to answer him and ask their questions, and he went on to give them proof. (laughs) He went on to give them proof. And I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately arose before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And the fact of the matter is, it says that they were all amazed, right? It says they're all amazed, and they're all filled with fear. Because they, for the first time, is like, you want me to prove it? Okay, I'll prove it. And in doing so, they were seeing God for the first time with their own eyes. The people were filled with amazement, filled with fear. They realized in that moment that they were standing before God, the creator of the universe, the Savior in the flesh. And in light of all of this, who had, in light of all who had witnessed this, they were then forced to make a decision. And such is the case with every single person when you have this encounter. A decision must be made. Either Jesus is God in the flesh or he is not. He claimed it. It's up for us to decide. They only had two options. They had to choose from in light of this claim that Jesus made and the proof that they gave him. And this decision is not a decision that should be taken lightly because much rides on what a person concludes. And the choice we make to believe or not believe has ultimately eternal results. The Bible teaches us that if we conclude that Jesus is God in the flesh who promises to give the gift of forgiveness to all who repent and trust in him, then we're going to partake in the gift of eternal life. But if we conclude that Jesus is not God in the flesh, then we receive no promise of forgiveness. And when we die, we will partake of what the Bible says in eternal judgment and eternal death. Debbie, if you and the worship team want to come up, I'm going to read the last three verses of this chapter and we'll close. And it says, In these things he went out, and after these things he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi, also we'll know him as Matthew, and, and sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And so he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there, was, there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And, and there, scribes and the Pharisees complain against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, of a physician but those who are sick. And I have come to call I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Guys, the Bible tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone in his Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And with that, I want to end by saying, like Peter, guys, Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, and he calls us to leave all behind and follow after him. We're a new creation. He makes all things new. That old life that Jesus called us out of, it has nothing left for us anymore. This world that we used to be a part of, that we're no longer a part of, sojourners, pilgrims, and strangers in a strange place with a citizenship and a heavenly kingdom, this world no longer has a place for us. 
All things have become new. And, and so like Peter, we must leave it behind in following after him. Additionally, like Jesus had done for the leper in healing his infirmities, guys, remember Jesus has healed your infirmities as well. And he's made us clean. And what God has made clean, let no one say otherwise. Not, the own, not our own heart, not the enemy, not the world. You're clean, you're accepted, you're loved. You've brought in, been brought into to God's kingdom and into his family. You're a new creation. All things have passed away. And like the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof, of, uh, uh, through the roof you know, like him, Jesus forgives our sins. We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven of our sins. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's been, all of our sins have been cast away into a sea of forgetfulness. As far as it is from the east as the west, God has done away with that sin record. And he's forgiven us. All things have become new. Old things have passed away. And lastly, like Matthew, we see here, Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collector. He was an outcast. He had a messed up life. I don't, want, I don't have time to go into all that. I wish we had more time. But just put it this way. He had a messed up life. We had messed up lives. And maybe this morning you have a messed up life. But Jesus went to Matthew. He was in need. Matthew knew he was in need. And what did Jesus do? He gave him a new life. He gave this tax collector, this dirty, despicable tax collector, he gave him a new life. He said, come follow me. And Jesus has given us new lives. Individuals, personally, he calls us into this, this new life. This new life where old things have passed away and where all things have become new. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful. we're thankful and grateful for this new life, for these new beings that you've created us in our moldiness and, and sanctifying us to be. I pray, God, that um, we would once again respond to the understanding that we are a new creation, that we will forsake the old things that even tend to creep back into our lives, even after following you, or that we would not go back to fishing, figuratively speaking, that we would you know, stay away from sin that so easily ensnares us and draw near to you. Father, I pray if anyone here this morning is just struggling with um, your love, your acceptance of them, if they're struggling with that, Lord, they would understand that your mercies are new every morning, that you came to those who were in need of forgiveness, those who were in need of healing. That's your people. We're your people. And so God, do a mighty work again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand? Let's sing another song of worship to the Lord before we close. At the end of the song, guys, um, there will be people who will come forward, one on each side, one in the middle, who will be available to pray with you. If you need prayer um, um, and you want someone to pray with you and for you, or there's somebody in your life that, that needs to still have this Jesus encounter that we talk about, um, come and, and pray for them with the people who are up here. And, 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 and through prayer, put them on the roof and lower them down before Jesus and see what God will do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.